Hi everyone, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. It's Eva here with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm in this time of COVID-19. We know all you farmers are out there making quick and significant changes to your supply channels, your staff, food safety protocols, and more. And you've had many questions for us regarding legal risk management. This week, we're recording a series of of COVID-19 episodes to address your questions about sick leave, unemployment and discrimination, diversification and employment, um, and sales and contracts and more. Today, we're back for part four with our staff attorney, Sarah Vale, who's based in Ashland, Oregon, and she'll be discussing with us um, sales and contracts regarding online um, sales platforms and community-supported agriculture programs. Thanks for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you, Eva. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, I just wanted to, to start by saying, you know, there's no denying all the havoc that this COVID-19 is wreaking for everyone. And of course, on all the farmers that we here at Farm Commons work so hard to serve. So I think most of you know what's going on, Um, but just to recap for anyone who's been stuck under a rock or I don't know, on Mars these past few (laughs) weeks, the way that we're able to access our food is so drastically changed. And, you know, obviously this means that farmers need to change the way that they sell their farm products too. So what do we do with all the restaurants being closed, at least for dining in? And, you know, what what do we do when grocery stores while open are such scary places to be in right now? You know, everyone's thinking about, oh, is this broccoli infected? Has somebody touched it? What about this carton of milk? Who's touched that? You know, are the COVID germs lurking here and there? Even the farmer's markets, you know, well, potentially safer being in the open air and um, carrying food that's handled by mostly people that you know in your local community still feels a little questionable, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of anxiety and fear. Um and important precautions being taken in the marketplace to encourage um, hygiene and public safety. Um, but with that and all the policy changes around public gatherings, retail operations, and mandates for social distancing, um, what are farmers to do now with regards to sales? That's a very good question, Eva. And I found myself asking this very same question when I was at the farmer's market yesterday morning. You know, I looked around at all these beautiful mixed greens and the kale and spinach, um, products like huckleberries that we have here in Oregon, you know, wild mushrooms, all these beets and beautiful flowers and sprouts that all the farmers work so hard to create. And, 
gather and grow and harvest. And uh, I just felt so much sadness thinking that this might all go to waste because the market that is usually so crowded was so not crowded yesterday. And I just felt so much sadness, you know, but then I remembered, I mean, the farmers that we work with are some of the most ingenious, inventive, resourceful people that I know. And so I know that this is proving to be true as we find our way through this strange new world of social distancing and masks and rubber gloves and all this Purell <laughs> yeah. everywhere. <laughs> the farmer's market I went, there was Purell. Uh, and, you know, I was looking at the, the barn to door website, one of these online farm sales platforms yesterday when I returned from the farmer's market. And so I was looking up, you know, what are farmers doing? And on the website, there was an article about tips for farm sales during the, the crisis we're in. And I was at least really heartened to see that uh, what they said is that online sales now for farm products are increasing 10 times and in other cases, even 20 times um, since the crisis began. So, you know, that really encourages me and um, shows me that, yes, farmers are resilient people that can figure this stuff out. So, you know, some of the things that Barn to Door was encouraging um, in terms of keeping up this online momentum for farmers was, you know, let's make it as easy as we can for customers right now. And, you know, customers are so accustomed to ease right now in purchasing products. You know, this is thanks to Amazon and Netflix and all these corporations um, have just created uh, this mentality, right, amongst customers. So they're already in this mentality. And now we have the situation where we need um, we need this ease more than ever, right? We need situations where customers can get their products um, without having to go into the grocery store or, or go into the restaurant to eat, right? So one of the things they also encouraged was to offer locations in towns, say, for customers to pick up farm products. And better yet, deliver the product right to their door. You know, also customers are really interested right now in having... Um, lots of staple goods delivered. So what's becoming really popular is bundling products in, into um, say boxes of staples, say milk and bread and you know um, produce and honey and all the things that people need on a regular basis but don't want to dash out the door to the grocery store to get. So you know at least what this article was was telling me is that farmers are quickly learning how to shift their business models. And so it looks like, you know, their ability to be responsive to the changing needs of customers and in this ever-changing COVID situation mm -hmm. will hopefully keep them in business. Yes, yes, that is the big hope. Um, and it looks like uh, the data is showing that this is a valid hope to have. Um, yeah. So at Farm Commons, we do have some well-established guides um, that are available for free for farmers who are selling wholesale um, that provides guidance as, as you enter into contracts with grocery stores, restaurants, um, schools, and other um, traditional 
brick and mortar institutions. Um, but what about when farmers enter into contracts with online sales platforms like Barn to Door that you mentioned and Farmingo mm -hmm. and um, Harvey? Are the legal um, agreements and considerations of these sales platforms different than say um, selling through a farmer's market? Yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, I would say that these considerations are different because, you know, with these virtual sales platforms like Barn to Door and Harvey and so on, what they do is different than what the traditional brick and mortar stores do. So, you know, these platforms offer, uh, offer different services, you know, company to company. They're offering um, slightly different different options for farmers, but mostly they offer the ability for farmers to sell online. So, you know, in other words, they provide a landing spot online where customers can see the farm products that are available and select what they want and pay for it. So it's very different from the traditional wholesale arrangement where say, you know, the farmer has um, an agreement with a grocery store to sell their broccoli. And the grocery store in that case actually takes possession of the broccoli and physically handles it and decides where to place it within the display areas of the store. That grocery store is going to price it and ultimately get it to the customers that come in the grocery store to buy it. So on the online platform, they never actually take physical possession of the broccoli, right? And that Harvey or that barn to door, they're not going to be responsible for actually getting the products into the hands of the customer. So what the online platform typically does instead is provide the software ingenuity that really tries to mimic virtually the experience of the customer going into the grocery store and doing the shopping in person, right? So it's going to try to replicate this experience as best as possible in an online setting. So the platform also offers the means for the customers to purchase the products easily through secure payment options. So that's going to be something else that you're really paying for in these. Something a lot of these sites also do is the marketing. So that's going to involve using a whole set of tools to try to create a, a robust uh, online and social media presence for the farm clients. So some of them also go into handling logistics and other administration tasks of sales like Oh, creating um, invoices and um, availability sheets, and also sometimes even coordinating deliveries of the farm product. Yeah, the, the scope of the services these different platforms offer sound pretty comprehensive in terms of that marketing and record keeping and scheduling support, um, which is so valuable right now to free up time for farmers to to cultivate the crops. We're in spring right now and everything's either getting planted or turned over or harvested or um, sales are just beginning, um, but also um, helps them to focus now on all those deliveries that they're having to do. Um, right. Yeah, not as much focus on like, oh gosh, gotta make that social media post and so on. Um, but yeah, yeah, it takes out of the hands of farmers some of the some of the stuff that farmers really never wanted to do in the first place. <laughs> right. So, you know, this really can be an opportunity for farmers right now. Yeah, to test out that value. Well, yeah. in in pursuing these new sales platforms, what are key questions that farmers should be asking um, as they suss out which one to to sign up for? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, these activities involved in selling farm products online, you know, like I said, they are different than the, the traditional brick and mortar um, situations. And so, yeah, the legal considerations are gonna be different and the questions are, are gonna be different too. So out where I live here in Oregon, um, I discovered a really great guide from the Oregon State University Center for Small Farms and Community Food Systems. Um, they've developed a helpful guide around selling local food during this COVID crisis. So uh, it includes a list of online sales platforms and also a list of questions to ask when contacting these different companies. So you wanna be asking these questions, first of all, to figure out, is this the right fit for me? Um, but you know, these questions can also be really helpful in thinking through the legal considerations of these arrangements. So when I say legal considerations, really what I'm talking about is, you know, what am I legally agreeing to do for you? What are you legally agreeing to do for me, right? Because that's, that's when things go sideways, right? Is when we weren't really sure what we agreed to. So getting all of these questions answered up front is really, the key to legal resiliency and the key to making sure that you prevent problems before they ever happen. So what's the first thing that you really need to talk about? Well, just like most things, it's going to be the money, right? Uh -huh. uh, one of the most single important issues you have to cover is the money. So you need to get clarity around what it will cost you, the farmer, to use this online platform. So you'll want to understand what the fee structure is. Really important. Is that going to be a one-time setup fee up front and that's it? Or is this, um, is this sales platform going to take a percentage of every single sale of your farm product? So what about once you reach a certain sales volume? Is there a discount? No, and then on the other side of things, you're going to want to understand how your customers are going to pay for your products. So um, are credit and debit card fees charged to customers? Or is this something that you, the farmer, are going to have to cover? You know, what are those fees? And when and how are they going to be collected? Can customers pay by check or cash on delivery as another option? And what about customers, what about people in a really hard times right now? What about customers who can only get by with say EBT or food stamps? Is there a way for you to offer, offer that? Can they pay using that? Uh, what if you want to go further and offer discounts or, you know, coupons, some kind of promotions? Is that going to be possible? And how long does it take for the customer payments to be deposited into your farm's bank account? And we don't have sales tax out here in Oregon, but for states that do collect sales tax, how is that handled using that platform? All really important money questions, right? And then, you know, part of being legally resilient means trusting the person or the company that you're entering into an agreement with, right? So, you know, you really want to know if this is a company that you can trust. Do they have a lot of experience? Have they been around a long time? What's their reputation, um, say, in your own community? Have other people used this platform? Uh, you might want to ask how long their sales platform has been in use and find out how many farmers they're currently serving. And then you're, you also really want to know if this is something you can get started on right away because for most farmers, this is going to feel like an emergency situation right now that requires urgent attention. You need to get online and 
in front of your customers right now. So you want to find out the details around what it really will take to get started. And is there going to be a long wait now because every other farmer is trying to do this right now? And then your farm products. So you're going to want to understand um, how it is that this platform is, is handling your farm products. So what's the process for providing all the information to the vendor, uh, for example, about what farm products that you have for sale? And how are you going to update your product list and your pricing? Uh, will you be able to set inventory limits, say, so you don't oversell your and overpromise your products you can't actually deliver on? Is it possible to create pack lists directly from the sales platform? What about labels for your farm products? Is that something that you can do using the site? And does the platform provide any assistance around, say, the logistics of delivering farm products, you know, and making this really easy for your customers to get? You know, and then I'd also say there, there are some technology questions too. So this is going to be, you know, potentially scary new territory for a lot of farmers that don't have a website or aren't used to doing sales this way. So, you know, for the customers, for the farmers that already have a website, say, they will want to ask, you know, how does this online sales platform integrate with my website? Uh, what does the customer interface look like? How does that work? What about smartphones? Can people access this, um, this information from, from their phone? And uh, will, this, will this work with your existing accounting software, say? So for the farmers that don't have a lot of tech experience then, and this is really scary new territory for them, a good question is, what kind of IT support does your company provide to me when this gets way too confusing, right? And then, you know, another good question to ask is um, all these online, uh, all these websites, all the, you know, the, the Facebook and the social medias of this world are using a lot of our information, right? And um, sometimes there's not a lot of understanding about how our information is being used, right? So you might want to ask how the sales platform might be using, say, your information and your sales data. So this is you know, moving to a platform like this can be a really great way to capture your sales data and have all the records of that. But, you know, what happens, say, if, if you decide this is just something you want to do temporarily and when this crisis is over, you're getting offline. What happens to all your sales data then? Can, can this company then use it somehow for their own purposes? So good questions to ask, mm -hmm. you know. And I think you can you can probably answer a lot of these questions just by going to the site's um, FAQ section. There are even lots of helpful videos to look at. But some of these questions really do involve asking around to other people and see what their experience have been um, with the platform, and then and then going to the the company itself and just getting on the phone and calling them and asking some of these questions. So yeah. always really important to know what it is you're agreeing to. Mm -hmm. And you got to ask to know um, in most yeah. cases. Yeah, you um, do. Even in the time of crisis, which feels like I know. <laughs> you may not have the extra time to ask, but it's just, it is really important to know what, what you're getting. Yeah. What you're investing in those mm -hmm. hard earned dollars um, in the hopes of, of increasing sales to get more money to support the farm business into the rest of the season. Um, yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, now, not only are farms um, pursuing online sales platforms more, I've been seeing so many farms, I mean, just here in North Carolina, but I know nationally, too, um, who have been selling mostly through restaurants and farmers markets and wholesale accounts, um, but are now shifting to um, what's called a community-supported agriculture model, the CSA model. So can you tell us a bit more about that model? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, the shift from selling in these brick and mortar stores and even, you know, our open air farmers markets that we just love, you know, to selling products via these online storefronts is all about making it easier for your customers to buy your products. And we are really seeing a shift to the CSA model as another way for farms um, to sell their product right now and make it easier for customers in these COVID times, right? So I'm sure most of you listening right now understand the CSA model, but for those of you who don't, uh, like Eva said, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And the basic framework of the Community Supported Agriculture model is that CSA's, CSA customers sign up to become members of the farm's CSA program. And these members, uh, they pay money up front usually before the farming season ever begins. And um, they pay money in exchange for receiving a share of the farm products. Um, usually it's on a weekly basis and lasts throughout the farming season. I know out here we have a CSA that we belong to and the season is 20 weeks long and we pay, you know, it's like $500 the beginning of the season, which feels like a lot in the middle of winter. But then when you get your box every week throughout the whole summer and fall, it feels like a free box of food every week. <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. Um, so, and then the, the farmers then uh, will dole out the products into the different boxes for each of the members who all receive the same, usually, hopefully the same kind of box and the same um, quantity of, of produce and other farm goods. So uh, usually the customers will pick up their CSA box at a designated location, sometimes it's on the farm or sometimes it's at a drop point in town at a, a designated time each week. I know with our CSA, uh, we have been a drop, a drop point host for about five years. And so the boxes would be delivered every Thursday at one and customers could come get them um, between four and seven every Thursday. Yeah, that's great to have a central pickup point for everybody in town and also for the farmer to have a central drop point. Um, when I had my very small CSA program, my favorite uh, drop-offs were at um, two towns nearby and it was great to see folks um, in town because I got off the farm, but my favorite pickup spot was definitely on the farm. Did not have to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ultimate convenience. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's a big piece of the CSA model. You know, is the the community piece. The C in the CSA is is community, and so much about that is is you know connection with your community, connection between the farmer mm -hmm. and the members. Very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so not only is CSA so great for, for underscoring and building community right now in this time of crisis, but it's also a good fit um, for farmers and consumers in terms of um, practicality right now with all the hygiene protocols. Um, so why do you think it's a good fit for both farmers and consumers right now during COVID-19? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, this really is a workable model in, you know, ordinary times. 
it's attractive for both the farmer and the customer. So the farmer gets money up front during the lean times of winter and early spring when cash flow can be, you know, really at a minimum and um, create lots of challenges for the farmer who's looking to buy seed and uh, start paying employees. Mm -hmm. So in the CSA model, the farmer can adequately plan what to grow based on the CSA demand, right? So, and then on the other hand, the customer gets the steady supply of fresh, nutrient-packed, local farm products throughout the whole season. So it really provides security for both the farmer and the customer. So now in these COVID times, uh, this security is, as you can imagine, even more welcome. You know, farmers are looking at where is my income going to come from and, uh, and customers are feeling like they really want food security too. You know, it's, it's questionable whether we'll go to the grocery store and there will be all the things I need this time, mm -hmm. right? So uh, yeah, the security is even more welcome right now. And plus like with the online storefront I was talking about, the CSA model really offers the ability to get farm fresh products without having to go to the store. You know, it's a win-win for everyone in terms of uh, being safe, being healthy, having food security, having income for the farmers. Yeah, absolutely. Very mutually beneficial right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we are farm commons, so of course we're going to look at things through the lens of legal risk management. And I'm wondering, um, what are the most important legal considerations right now for farmers who are getting into the CSA model? What should they be paying attention to? Yeah, good. Good question. Uh, so one of those legal considerations that farmers looking to shift to that CSA model uh, is going to be how much risk are the customers taking on in this arrangement? So another great feature and pretty typical feature of, of the CSA model is um, for the farmer is that in a typical CSA model, the customer is going to be sharing the farmer's risk. So what I mean by that is that as we all know, farming is an inherently risky business, right? So there's no guarantee that what the farmer plants in the spring is going to make it to bountiful harvest time, right? Natural disasters happen. Uh, COVID-19s happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> Disease sets in. Predators don't always mind fences, you know? So your customers have paid a pretty penny. In the beginning of the year to be able to share and the expected harvest later but what happens if there's no harvest to share in you know so in the traditional csa model the farmer says i am so sorry but i used all your cash dear member to buy all that seed and pay my workers to plant all the seeds and to weed and to water who knew there'd be a tornado that wiped all this out? Thanks for investing in my farm and taking this risk. Hey, we'll try again next year. <laughs> so in that model, you know, the farmer is secure, but the members, I mean, the, the members out of luck. The farmer had the cash, they grew the crops, crops didn't pan out, and uh, the customer is out of their cash, and they're also now out of their food. You know, but many people are actually willing to enter into an arrangement like that. They understand that farming can be risky and they know that most of the time they're going to get their food in the end, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, lots of people don't mind investing in small scaled organic agriculture, despite the fact that they might lose out in the short term this one season, right? But if it's not communicated clearly to the CSA members and that tornado happens and the members get no food, you can be certain that you're gonna have some disgruntled members, right? So uh, really important way of avoiding this misunderstanding and all these bad feelings are that farmers really should be clear about how risk is gonna be shared and whether refunds will be issued or not if there's no farm product to share with members. So if you're looking at setting up a CSA model, you can choose to share this risk any way you want, but it just needs to be communicated clearly to members. Now, another important legal consideration is around the legal right to that farm product. So um, this issue really surfaces when CSA members don't pick up their CSA box within that designated pickup time. So uh, remember I was talking about our CSA and how the, the pickup time is scheduled for between four and seven every Thursday. So um, what happens if the member misses that window and their CSA share is still sitting there the next day? So who does it belong to then? You know, and the answer legally speaking is, well, whatever the farmer and the member agreed to, right? So if the farmer never clearly communicates the answer to that question and this situation happens and say um, the drop uh, point host uh, sends the box to a local um, food bank, which is a pretty common situation, um, and that member didn't understand that, they might be pretty upset when they come and looking for their box the next day and it's gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, when I set up those um, shared and fair expectations for both the farmer and the member. And the vehicle to do that really would be a CSA agreement. Um, but I've also seen folks write just point blank on their website the different terms and they don't see the need for an agreement, but really that is an agreement um, if, mm -hmm. if the members are required to read that in, in a, advance of paying for their um, share. But there are good resources out there to support all you farmers as you move into the CSA model. Um, and we have some good ones at Farm Commons and, the, and other organizations working in sustainable agriculture. Um, I almost said sustainable ag, <laughs> so used to saying that. Um, have really helpful online sales platform resources too. So Sarah, what are some good resources that farmers should look to? Well, on our Farm Commons website, we have a great resource. Um, we have several resources on CSAs. We have, I think, a, a tutorial to watch, probably a podcast. We have um, a couple written guides, and one of them that's particularly helpful is our CSA member agreement workbook. So in that, you're going to find more information about some of the risks, the issues that come up that I just mentioned, and how to handle those and we also have a few sample agreements um, in that workbook that you can use as a template for your own and you know when we talk about agreements it doesn't have to be a long drawn out complicated you know 10 page 20 page um, contract it can be like Eva said it can be just something clearly communicated um, say on the website when you purchase the CSA it can be something uh, that the members just check off on the brochure that they um, then use to uh, sign up for the CSA and send back to the farm. So, you know, it doesn't have to be long or drawn out. 
are complicated, but the basic, you know, points of, of an agreement, what creates an agreement are the meeting is the meeting of the minds, right? So it's clear communication about here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. And that is what we agree to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the um, CSA member agreement workbook that Sarah mentioned will be listed um, in the show notes for this podcast. And we'll also mention a couple others um, from Purdue Extension and Oregon State um, University's extension, the resource on um, online sales platforms that Sarah mentioned earlier in the episode. Um, all that will be in the show notes. So thank you all for tuning in and to all the farmers out there, we wish you our very best as you transition um, your farm business models into online sales and into CSA programs. Um, and we hope that you keep healthy and well and safe um, in the process. And thank you, Sarah, for being on the line today and sharing your expertise. Thank you, Eva. And thank you everyone for listening. I do wish you all the best of luck. You can do this. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.